Welcome into TYT's Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence. I'm filling in for Dr. Richie on this Monday. And today I am joined by TYT contributor, that's Ben Carollo. And there is so much that we need to talk about today, especially because we have more coming out of the US Supreme Court. Yes, the conservative reign, it is continuing for the nation's highest court. And what we found out today is that in a six to three vote, the conservative majority of the US Supreme Court ruled that a high school football coach had a constitutional right to pray at the 50 yard line after his team's games. Now this may not sound like anything necessarily significant, but let me assure you it definitely is and you should be very concerned for the reasons that I'll explain. But let's go ahead and look at this decision first. So this per the New York Times, Justice Neil M. Gorsuch writing for the majority said the prayers of the coach, Joseph Kennedy, were protected by the First Amendment. Mr. Kennedy had served as an assistant coach at a public high school in Bremerton, Washington near Seattle. For eight years, he routinely offered prayers after games with students often joining him. He also led and participated in prayers in the locker room. The school board instructed Mr. Kennedy not to pray if it interfered with his duties or involved students. And ultimately the school did not want students to feel that they were being forced to pray to play, which I'm sure you can probably guess may be a feeling, especially when you have an individual who's in a position of power being the assistant coach there. And they also didn't want the uh, anyone to think that the public school was leading in this prayer as it would violate that separation of church and state. But when Coach Kennedy continued to pray, and of course he'd do it on the 50 yard line after gains before everyone, well, his contract wasn't renewed. So after reviewing the case, Justice Gorsuch and his conservative majority, they went ahead and concluded this. Respect for religious expressions is indispensable to life in a free and diverse republic. Whether those expressions take place in a sanctuary or on a field and whether they manifest through the spoken word or about ahead, he wrote. Here, a government entity sought to punish an individual for engaging in a brief, quiet, personal religious observance. That's really interesting the way that it was framed because it definitely seemed to be maybe misconstruing some facts. And that was an observation that was also noted in the dissent, which was written by Justice Sonia Sotomayor. So she and the other two liberal justices of the court, well, they explained why the ruling itself was so problematic as they did call out the misrepresentations that the majority essentially was using to support its opinion. And this is what Justice Sotomayor wrote. Today's decision is particularly misguided because it elevates the religious rights of a school official who voluntarily accepted public employment and the limits that public employment entails over those of his students who are required to attend school and who this court has long recognized are particularly vulnerable and deserving of protection. Now this ruling, it does come just days after the Supreme Court ruled that Essentially, school districts can be forced to pay tuition at religious schools as well as public schools. So that's basically saying we can go ahead and use your taxpayer money to fund religion. And that definitely seems to be a breach of this whole church and state situation, which is one of the founding elements of our nation. Well, you again may not fully appreciate the significance of this, but let me go ahead and show you why this is of grave importance when it comes to really reinforcing this Christian ideology in our system. Watch this. We need to start to roll things back in order to begin to restore order. And yes, that might look like uh, rolling back the rights the rights of women over the past hundred years. That's probably going to look exactly like that to most people, especially liberals. 
But that is what is needed to be done. There's something next on the horizon. Because gay marriage is going to be going away. Contraceptives are going to be going away. Anal sex, you know, you like the, you know, the anal sex that you like to have, that's going to be going away as well. And many other things are going to be going away because there is a true rise of Christian nationalism in this country. Indeed, there is a rise in Christian nationalism, and that is a problem. That man that you heard speaking is a white nationalist named Vincent James, and he sees it and fully appreciates it and glorifies it. This rise in this Christian white nationalist front. Again, our nation was purportedly founded on the separation of church and state such that we wouldn't have kind of this theocracy in place where you had leaders using any kind of religious body or religious ideology to dictate what we choose to do and such that we will not be oppressed for it. And as hypocritical as our founding fathers were, we can definitely agree that that was supposed to be at least the agreement from the jump. But it seems that the US Supreme Court is not really here for following precedent or even abiding by what we do know the law to be and the the actual US Constitution to say. But that's just my read of things, Ben. Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much to this. Like first and foremost, what the Supreme Court is doing is very obviously in their view, the words on the page and their decisions are just a means to an end. They already know the conclusions they wanna make. They want to make the conclusions that allow them to turn the like the right to practice your own religion into a right to oppress people. Because, and this is one thing that a lot of people forget, the United States wasn't predominantly Christian for a pretty long time, actually. If you look even just 100 years ago in the 19 teens, you'll see the average church membership is something around 15 to 20% of the American population. It only got really big and really popular during the Eisenhower administration. And the reason for that was basically twofold. People viewed the right to practice your religion as an open door to challenge laws against segregation and as an open door to push an extreme, violent, anti-communist and anti-black message across the country. Quite literally, they viewed religious rights as an opportunity to justify oppression, as an opportunity to have elected officials, to have government officials going out of their way to maintain segregation and to maintain their reactionary beliefs to resist any type of forward societal progress. Which is why Christianity in America, you can actually see this especially with Catholics, are very, very different from Catholics in other parts of the world. You actually notice a lot of Catholics in the United States are very angry with the Pope. That the Pope dares to suggest we do things like help poor people and you know not let school shooters get access to guns to shoot up schools and things like that. There's a lot of American Catholics that are very, very angry about that. And the reason is because Christianity in the United States was really invented out of whole cloth by right wing PR departments and marketing advertising agencies in order to sell this ridiculous over the top brand of racist capitalism. And that really has been like the defining force for the political right. And today it's coming to this pivotal moment where they are revealing themselves to have no concern or care for any institutions, for any other people other than predominantly white evangelicals in the United States.
Oh, without a doubt, it's so it's always interesting how so many things are rooted in racism and trying to create this divide based on people's appearances and their race. And the thing is, we've seen we've seen Christianity take that exact same path, as well as the Constitution. And when it comes to the law and the application, and we're seeing it being driven home even harder now, where we have these U.S. Supreme Court justices who are completely and totally comfortable with just trimming a little fat off the Constitution in order to serve their end goal, which is this white Christian nationalist ideology that they want to implement and even if it means to the destruction of our nation and to the destruction of individuals. Last week with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. So when it was overturned on Friday, there were a lot of lawmakers out there, particularly GOP, who were making it known that this is going along with their fundamental principles and what they'd like to see, particularly as it concerns oppressing people based on race, largely black people. For example, check this out. This is from Mary Miller. She's an Illinois representative and she was essentially just showcasing her true feelings on her pro-life stance. President Trump, on behalf of all the MAGA patriots in America, I want to thank you for the historic victory for white life in the Supreme Court yesterday. Again, that's what it's about. It's about white life, uplifting white life, preserving white life. But of course, it's male white life that they are looking to uplift by virtue of the fact that they do want to see women oppressed, primarily women and birthing people, such that they are no longer in the workplace, that they do not have as many options, and that they are in a position of being subjugated to primarily serve men. And of course, you know, Millery not to be outdone. Well, Senator John Corwin out in Texas, he made it known that he wants to take it a step further when it comes to reversals. In response to President Obama's remarks about Roe being overturned, well, the Texas Senator quote tweeted with now do Plessy versus Ferguson Brown v Board of Education. Yeah, that really screams pro segregationist as far as I'm concerned. And of course, Corwin would go on to double down with his tweet. He also put out this saying, thank goodness some SCOTUS precedents are overruled. Because of course, the thought that there would be any kind of progress in our nation that would make it so that individuals who are from oppressed or marginalized groups have more opportunity and more leveling the playing field, shall we say. That is something that he sees as an affront to him, evidently. And also, we've seen this behavior coming out for some time. Back in March, Senator Mike Braun, well, he would reveal his feelings. And of course, he decided to go on and attack Loving v. Virginia. That's that Supreme Court case that essentially made inter racial marriage bans, miscegenation, well, it made it illegal. Watch this. So you would be okay with the Supreme Court leaving the question of interracial marriage to the states? Yes, I think that that's something that if you're not wanting the Supreme Court to weigh in on issues like that, you're not gonna be able to have your cake and eat it too. I think that's hypocritical. About Griswold versus Connecticut. Do well, you, you can list a whole host of issues when it comes down to whatever they are. Uh, I'm going to say that they're not going to all make you happy uh, within a given state, but that we're better off having states manifest their points of view rather than homogenizing it across the country as Roe versus Wade did.
Yeah, you know, Griswold, that's that case that says you can have your own contraception, which is also great in case you don't necessarily want to have children. So you can do that whole family planning thing. But of course, this is also something that the GOP wants to take away in addition to the right to marry whomever you want, regardless of their skin color. And I would like to think that Clarence Thomas, despite all of his antics, that he seems to be okay with that. But then again, the man may not know that he's black, I don't know. I definitely do know that these lawmakers, Braun, Miller, Corwin, and the rest of them in the GOP that they really view this reversal of Roe v. Wade as being the beginning to rolling back the civil rights that serve primarily marginalized communities and that chip away a bit any kind of ideology of white supremacy. Again, this is all about that white Christian nationalist agenda and furthering it. Ben. Yeah, I think the most important fact for people to understand is this has always been a violent white supremacist movement, period, stop, since its beginning. Quite literally, the way that right wingers got here was to make Democrats afraid. Literally, they would terrify the Democrats out of even mentioning the word abortion because they assassinated doctors, they bombed Planned Parenthoods, they sent out death threats with a great regularity. They would send, like, they literally would pick it outside of clinics. And shout like vitriolic, hateful things at the people who are trying to go to those clinics, even just for like healthcare outside of getting an abortion. This has always been a fundamentally violent white supremacist movement. And what is happening right now on the Supreme Court, what is happening right now with these Republicans, is they are doing everything within their power to legitimize that violence. And they are trying to legitimize it through formalizing it through the state. On top of that, we have to touch on something. Because if you think that they won't go that far, oh, they won't go that far. Literally, Amy Coney Barrett, before she was in the Supreme Court, when she was ruling on a previous case that was unrelated to voting rights, went out of her way, went out of her way to say that she thought, and this case is about gun rights, she thought that it should be harder to take away gun rights than voting rights because she believes that only virtuous citizens should be allowed to vote. Now, think about that for a minute. What do these white supremacists think in their mind when you say virtuous? I think the answer is fairly clear. And that is obviously the direction that they want to bring our country. Absolutely, without a doubt. And the fact is that you make a great observation in noting how they use force, they use violence to do so. There was a Rhode Island police officer who was running for office on the GOP ticket while he dropped out of the race on Saturday amid a criminal investigation for allegedly punching his opponent in the face during an abortion protest. Watch this. The woman who was punched, that's reportedly Democratic State Senate candidate Jennifer Rourke. She also happens to be the chairman of the Rhode Island Political Cooperative, and she was leading a peaceful abortion rights protest over the weekend in Providence when her Republican opponent, Gian Lugo, reportedly punched her in the face, as we saw in that video. And Lugo, who also happens to be a Providence police officer, was off duty at the time, but after the video went viral, swift action was taken against him. And this is what we know happened per CBS News. Lugo was suspended. 
suspended from his job with pay Saturday and faces charges. In a Saturday evening news release, state police said Providence patrolman Gian Lugo was charged with simple assault and disorderly conduct. And he was quick to step down, which he did on Twitter in terms of giving us notice. Lugo announced that he was suspending his campaign for the state Senate. I will not be running for any office this fall, he tweeted. Lugo appeared to close his Twitter account on Saturday afternoon. He told the Post that he, as an officer, found himself in a situation that no individual should see themselves. I stepped in to protect someone that a group of agitators was attacking, he wrote in an email. That's interesting, I would say, because if he was you know, engaging in what we'd like to call self-defense, that why would you go ahead and drop out of running for office? But either way, I'm glad that he is no longer in the race because it's clear that he has some perhaps aggression issues. Either way, he should not have taken it out on that candidate, particularly a black woman, Ben. Yeah, this is like this is what's terrifying is because we've seen this escalate over the past couple of years. There were a couple instances that happened, I think the last election and the election before it. I think there was one representative of Montana that tried to like body slam somebody or something, if I'm remembering correctly. It was a while ago, a lot's happened since then. But this is something that the Republicans are escalating. And even though the authorities came in and did something about it, um, I think we're not seeing enough. And I think the action that we're we're not seeing is very, very telling. Because if you look at like tying this to the January 6th folks, right? They seem to be slow rolling the investigations. A lot of people keep getting charged and then and then sentenced to like probation, right? They're going they're playing with kid gloves. They're playing with kid gloves. No, we should throw the hammer down when you have people who are trying to run for office and they're like committing acts of violence against other elected officials. This is where you should go to the max. Maximum degree of the law. This is where you should be holding people to a higher standard. This is where I mean the entire Republican Party. Like, like let's be real. If the Democrat, if a Democrat even made a joke about something like this, they would be criticized by the entire like Democratic Party. Nancy Pelosi would be doing press conferences for two weeks, right, condemning all the violence, right. But like Republicans actually do this. And where's Mitch McConnell? Where's where, where are the, where are the Republicans doing this? They're not saying anything because look, and and I obviously can't read their minds, but it doesn't seem to me like the Republicans have a problem with this, and that is exactly the problem with the Republicans because their policies their policies are violent. They have structurally violent policies that they enact on working class people. And so when you see this individualized violence, the reason why Republicans stay silent is because. I think that within their minds, they actually are fine with it. No, and I think that they are absolutely fine with it again in terms of this is this regressive approach where we're going to engage in violence. Also knowing that that individual was a sworn officer of the law, that is very, very scary because it's the reality that we're seeing a lot of violence by police officers. That First Amendment right to exercise and to peacefully protest, yet we saw law enforcement respond with violence. Now, here's a mashup video of some of the footage that was captured over the weekend after the US Supreme Court opted to take us back to the early 1970s.
impressed. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing, man? Leave the area. What are you doing, man? Leave the area. I'm impressed. I have a legal right to be here. violence across the nation and we're seeing it at the hands of law enforcement after people were speaking out and exercising their First Amendment rights. It continues to reinforce the notion that we are living in not only a militarized state and this police state, but also in one in which our rights are not ours, but they are at the whims of this Christian white national conservative movement that will end up being the downfall of us all. And we'll definitely have more about that when we come back. And as Dr. Ritchie would say, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Ritchie. And I'm wondering, what are you doing tomorrow? Maybe around 5 Pacific? Well, I would definitely recommend that you check out us because we got the progressives in the establishment. We're going head to head in a round of election runoffs. That's Tuesday, June 28th, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. You have all the greats there, including Marsha Williams, Illinois 17th District, Kena Collins, Illinois 7th District, Cenk Ugert, Senator Nina Turner, David Schuster, and so many more. Also, don't forget to get that membership in. You need that. TYT has been at the forefront of change since our inception, and you can be part of that change by becoming a member at tyt.com slash join. And also, always catch us up at the watch list. That's right, JR Jackson live weekdays, 12 Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. You can go to facebook.com slash watchlisttyt or youtube.com slash watchlisttyt, but always watch it. Okay, so let me hear from you all as far as the Supreme Court continuing its religious elevation here. So Beer Dragon says one by one, evangelicals are taking away your rights, don't let him. Make you see the silver haired dragon. No one is surprised about the latest ruling. The fake Christians have taken over. Absolutely. Urban Hermit says Kaepernick should have genflected, genflected, forgive me, rather than take a knee. He is he was have been protected by SCOTUS. Would have been interesting. The GOP lawmakers reveal racist agenda after Roe v. Wade. Well, Mick Boy Rap says I totally believe that he would leave Jenny Thomas to advance his and also her agenda. That marriage gotta be loveless. Oh no, I think there's a lot of love in it. It's just the very, very toxic kind that will end up being our nation's downfall. Schmoopy Dragon says Canada is about to see a huge influx of asylum requests. Absolutely, I got mine in, filled it in this weekend. They about the cop GOP candidate that punched that woman Democrat. Well, Two Paper Dolls Gaming says, man, America just gets classier and classier, doesn't it? See Michael Hinson with that $5 donation, thank you. Suspended, he needs to be arrested. Let that have been the other way around. She would have been handcuffed and fast, unequal application of the law. I would imagine that he has some union rights going on, which is why they hit him with the suspension, but we will see. As far as the police violence against the protesters, well, Big Dre says, 
Where were these guys during the January 6th riot? Mm. Oh, we know where they were. They were also beaten on us too. And Mickey C. the Silver Dragon says cops attacking peaceful protesters as usual. Most news outlets were reported as violent leftists starting riots. Yep, we definitely saw that during um, <laughs> during the George Floyd protests. Mm. That really says a lot. Uh, but what also says a lot is the fact that there were plenty of Karens in full effect this past weekend, including this one. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? was one American news contributor, Allison Steinberg. Uh, just having a meltdown over seeing a pride flag in her hometown, Huntington Beach. Yeah, so I've definitely lived in Southern California and I think there are some areas that I'm a little bit mm, when I visit and Huntington Beach happens to be one of them. So I think it's very nice that they have the pride flag there. But of course she decides to be very ignorant, which is her business. But uh, isn't shouldn't she be unemployed by now? What isn't one American news, aren't they done? I just, I'd like to see them done, uh, Ben. Yeah, I mean, this is where these people just reveal like, look, these people have genocidal ambitions. Like, I just wanna be very, very clear in case it's not clear enough to anybody yet. These people will not be happy until anybody who is not rich and white is either in prison or not alive. Like, those are the, like, let, let's just be super real. Why else would you get angry about a flag that simply represents Queer folks existing, just trying to exist in peace, like that's it. Queer folks just want to exist in peace and be themselves, but they view just the existence of queer folks as some sort of threat. And what else can you say? What else can you say other than that these folks quite literally will not rest until queerness is wiped out of the entire United States. And it's not just queer folks that they're targeting. They're targeting women's rights across the board. They want women to be subservient to men and only play a role as property. And they also are obviously targeting people of color across the country, trying to strip away the right to vote, trying to brutalize them with systemic violence, police violence, and vigilante violence. Like what these people want is very, very clear. and. It's just, we're an incredibly dangerous situation right now. We're an incredibly dangerous situation right now. And it's obviously silly to just randomly get angry at a pride flag, but it's what is underneath it that reveals what is truly in the hearts of these fundamentally evil people. Absolutely, and the fact that they're also so brazen about it. There are a lot of people now who are really just putting putting their junk out there for everyone to see in an unapologetic way. And This man who was captured during a flight trying to airdrop pictures of his penis. Watch this. Meet Larry, who just airdropped the whole flight photos of his peepee. Thankfully, I accepted it, saw who was sending it, and immediately started speaking up. Stay tuned for the police escort. It's disgusting. It is a 
Yeah, indeed. Uh, that individual's name is Lawrence Martin from Texas. Uh, here's a Facebook photo of the gentleman who thought he would share his junk with everyone on the plane. And we do know that in a follow-up video that the individual who had posted it, identified as McKenzie, explained that this was a Friday flight to Denver when this person decided he'd have a little fun. There was also a child who received the photo, but thankfully didn't approve the airdrop. And the child's father was allegedly ready to beat the hell out of Martin, and rightfully so. They this is a form of sexual harassment. It's a form of intimidation, of subjugation, of putting people in a position where they do not feel comfortable. And this Lawrence Martin person, what thinking this was fun, get out of here. There's nothing fun about being subjugated, being made to feel uncomfortable, especially when you're in a confined tube that is going to hit the friendly skies. And so I really do hope that this individual is hit with handcuffs, which is our understanding of what happened after the flight with the situation here when the plane landed. I really, really hope that they throw the book at this individual because this is this indiscriminate, let me share my pick, get out of here. That's filthy, Ben. Yeah, I mean, like anybody who's like a woman or queer has had to deal with this, especially if you're on the internet in today's day and age. And like the overlap between people who are randomly like send like violent threats to people over the internet and people who send photographs like that unsolicited over the internet is pretty much a circle. And this is one of those things that's just really, really frustrating because the overlap between that crowd and the white nationalist crowd that's trying to strip everybody's rights away also is pretty close to a circle as well. And like, the reason why this is so frustrating is because like obviously that person got put in handcuffs and that's good. And and that like like that's good that the person got in handcuffs. But we need to talk about the culture that makes somebody feel like they can do that. Because the harsh reality is most of the people who are sending violent threats over the internet, most of the people who are sending photos like that unsolicited over the internet to strangers like that are not getting any type of punishment. They're not getting any type of even like social, you know, punishment for it. They're they because obviously their friends don't know, their parents don't know. And even when like the police get called about, hey, these creeps are sending violent threats, they don't do anything about it. And look, if Joe Biden wanted to stop the white nationalists across the country, if Joe Biden really wanted to deal with like these violent, hateful people, he could start by opening up DOJ investigations into all these people. Instead of putting people in jail for nonviolent drug crimes, he could be putting people in jail for sending violent threats over the internet. And that would pretty swiftly deal with a lot of these creeps. And the fact that we don't do it, the fact is somehow we see that as normal or off limits for like the police to actually investigate, even though this is very criminal behavior, like it's just a testament to how toxic our culture is and how much this misogynistic culture has just, I think, warped people's perceptions of how our systems are supposed to operate. Absolutely. You know, all of this part of rape culture that you should be able to send me pictures of your member or that you should be able to make lewd comments that make me feel unsafe, that that should just be, you know, shoulder shrugs. It's part of being a woman. It's absolutely disgusting and it really does show you again the hypocrisy of our nation, especially since we are seeing this whole Christian nationalist fundamentalist movement and whatnot when this would seem to be the antithesis of that type of behavior, yet it's so many people engaged in it. The good thing at least as far as we know in this story is that McKenzie, the individual who posted the video and a few other passengers, it's our understanding that they met with FBI agents who informed them that Mr. Martin had been arrested and would be spending the weekend in airport jail. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see footage of that. 
happen, it would have been something I would have enjoyed seeing. But what I would love to see is that hopefully there's someone who is going to be presiding over this case and also prosecuting this case who do not see this behavior as a joke. But are willing to hold people accountable for what they are doing in terms of this threatening, inappropriate, and harassing behavior. Because for too long has this kind of conduct been able to be labeled as being a joke while others are feeling subjugated, oppressed, and completely and totally uncomfortable. So I hope that gentleman gets everything he deserves and much more. And we will definitely provide you with much more when we get back. And as Dr. Richie says, stick and stay. It's Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Richie once again. And let's go ahead and hear what y'all got to say. All right, so as far as the OAN contributor, Karen raging at the pride flag. Well, Donald James says, you see, there's a lot more Karens like this out there than we think. That's why we lose politically. KM81677 says, I love the flight attendant saying that that's going to be a problem. Absolutely, flight attendants are sexually harassed up the wazoo, they don't play. For the most part, they will let you know that they will check you, especially after this pandemic. And there are a number of people out there who also are getting checked and they happen to be law enforcement. Because we had two Texas officers that were stopping a black man, profiling I would say. And he was leaving a 7-Eleven in a suburban Dallas Fort Worth area convenience store. And essentially they were claiming that he broke a parking law. Well, the retired veteran and also he happened to be a police academy graduate. His name is Michael McHugh or Michael McQuee. And he really seemed to expose these officers for profiling him. Watch this. Can we see some ID? No, what for? I just what's asked your, you. What's your probable cause to ask me for ID? It does not have a handicap placard. Read the plate, man. You're, you're, you don't even know what you're talking about. DV, that's disabled veteran plate. We can park in handicapped spots. Let me see some ID, please. No. I have never seen anybody wear a police academy That's your business. After that's they your business. Graduate. I wear it all the time. Do my, do, do, do my training, and I can do that. Because I'm a graduate, I can wear the uniform. Have I you can been wear certified it. as a peace officer? Of course. Officer? I have my certification. What are you talking about? Why don't you run the Why don't you run the plate? Why don't you run the plate? Run the plate, man! I gave you permission. And what did you see? You had to see the certificate certification. Contact T Cole. Why don't you contact them? You saw my name. Call T Cole. T Cole stands for Texas Commission on Law Enforcement, which serves as a regulatory agency for all peace officers in Texas. Run it! Run it! Call T Cole. But you have no, you have no justification of probable cause to run up on me. Yeah, yeah. Who was the academy director when you were there? Contact them. Asking all these questions, basically saying, let me see your freedom papers. That's exactly what he's doing. And also he could have looked at his license plates that would have had that DV indicator. That just shows you all they're trying to do is punk this black man. And so essentially after confirming the man's certification and everything else that they could have easily done by running the plates. Well, Mr. McHugh, excuse me, he rightfully lectured these officers for profiling him. Check this out. Did you check T. Cole, did you call Navarro? He did call Navarro. Okay, so then, so then you know, you're feeling small now, aren't you? You shouldn't run up on people. You'd have no probable cause. If you wanted to follow me and run my plate, you could have done that. Well, I don't have to talk to you. I don't have to talk to you. That's right. I already told you that. Waste my time and you. You're supposed to be a captain and you don't know the disabled 
plates have a right to park in a, in a parking spot. And you violating people's rights. I don't care what he says. I have TCO certification. I have TCO certification. Yes, I do. That's what you checked in. Who says who? My, my certification doesn't say expired. You want it to be expired because you see brown skin. So take a walk. Walk of shame. You understand? And learn the law. And learn the law. And learn the law. And you better have probable cause before you run up on somebody in uniform. You don't have no reasonable suspicion because I'm on the same side as you. No, you aren't. I have Kiko. I'm a graduate of the police academy. Okay, just like you years ago, you probably couldn't even pass the test right get now. Going, you go. You get going. So go learn the law before you start teaching young people how to do the job. You're a bad example to the young fella over there. You don't even know the rules of parking. I, I appreciate this more than anything. That was very entertaining. I will say I do think that uh, the officers may have only needed reasonable suspicion to stop him, uh, not necessarily to search him. But I don't necessarily know what they were insisting that they had the right to do. Either way, I think they got an education uh, that day. And those officers, that's Captain Scott Peters and Sergeant Sean Fulliger. I think we have pictures of him. Uh, well, they have been identified as members of the Joshua Police Department, and I'm sure that they will give uh, second thoughts before they run up on people simply because their melanin count is high. Now, Ben, I know you're a veteran. Veteran, how does this uh, sit with you? Yeah, I mean, it like like the similarity. Like, look, this is the harsh reality. Is like this is why they're like this is why good cops quit. Right, like let's be real. That is the the trend that happens in the United States because the harsh reality is the majority of folks uh, that are in police departments um, are either participating in things like this or they're letting it happen and not saying anything about it because the people who are saying thing saying things about it are getting kicked off the police force or they're quitting themselves because their life is made a living hell by the other officers. And I've seen this exact same thing in the military, right? A lot of people have this idea that they're these good guys doing the right thing. But the way the institution is structured, the way people are protected within the institution, make sure that they're allowed to be racist like this. Make sure that they're allowed to commit arbitrary violence without any repercussion. And when that's a system and structure that's in place, then you get leadership that believes in that system and structure. Even if you're a good person trying to do good and you join the institution, you're gonna find resistance at every single minute of every single day. And like, I would put money on uh, if this man tried to get a job at that police department, I could pretty pretty much almost guarantee that he wouldn't be able to get a job there or even in a lot of different police departments because like within these institutions, there's very much a culture of us versus them. And that leads to this problem right here where the police officers, before they decide, before they decide to like randomly harass this person, they are mauling it over in their heads. How terribly can we treat this person? And the fact that he had that certification, that he had actually gone through the police academy, is what made them be like, okay, well, they're in the club, so I guess we can't go after this person. But if that wasn't the case, if that wasn't the case, if, if he hadn't graduated from the police academy, would we have seen the same outcome? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. I think they saw a black man that they figured that they could harass and when they realized that he had some inkling of authority and power and some validity in terms of his words and that they're likely going to be believed. I think that that's when they started to stand down. Either way, we definitely know that there is a problem when it comes to policing. And 
unfortunately, it does seem that there is a problem when it comes to individuals not knowing how to act, especially especially in public settings. This is a tragic story that comes out of Atlanta, and it occurred last night where a young subway worker was shot dead by a customer. Why? Because the customer was unhappy with the amount of mayonnaise that was on their sandwich. Yes, so the customer escalated the situation. And basically what we know is all hell broke loose. According to the store's owner, a gentleman named Willie Glenn. On Sunday night at around 6.30 p.m., a customer ordering a sandwich at a subway connected to a gas station located in the city's downtown area erupted into a dispute with one of the store's employees and opened fire. Believe it or not, it was about too much mayonnaise on the sandwich, owner Willie Glenn said in an interview at the news station. Now the two victims, the two people who were hit by that gunfire, they're sisters. And according to police, the victim who was shot and killed was a 26 year old woman. She's since been identified as Brittany Macon. And her sister, who was also shot, is 20 four years old and she made it to the hospital, but is in critical condition. Now Macon, the woman who died, her five-year-old son happened to be present during the fatal shooting and witnessed it. The employee who died during the shootout has not been identified by police, even though the name is out there now as Brittany Macon. But we definitely know that the son of the employees was present at the time and the staff was attacked by that armed customer. The manager had attempted to defend himself and his employees, Glenn, and this is what he said. Glenn said the store manager who was armed with a gun of his own also attempted to to stop the shooter. My manager was able to exchange gunfire with him, but of course he didn't hit him and it ended up as a wild shootout in the parking lot. Now we do know that the police, they've arrested a 36 year old man. They haven't identified him and they say it's because of an ongoing investigation. But as the Atlanta Journal Constitution has noted, just this year arguments at Atlanta restaurants and bars have led to deadly gunfire at at least a half a dozen instances and times. And a lot of the victims have been young adults. This is something that's very scary. And you do have to ask yourself, what is going on? What is boiling underneath our society such that people are willing to take someone's life over having a sandwich with too much mayonnaise? Ben. Yeah, I mean, this ultimately rests at the same cultural roots in the United States as all the other things that we're seeing going on right now with the violence that from racists across the country that we're seeing like the stripping of rights away from women. Um, all of these things are tied together. All these things are tied together. And fundamentally, the service workers in the United States, historically, right, historically, marginalized people basically basically been like forced into service work. That's why that's why tipped workers actually get sub-minimum wages, right? And so we have a lot of cultural assumptions in the United States about service workers and our culture by and large dehumanizes service workers. It's why so many have to deal with sexual harassment on a regular basis, why they have to deal with like all of this vitriol and violence from people. And as this white supremacist violence is escalating, it's also escalating within the sphere of like retail workers and service workers facing increasing violence from these same people. It is fundamentally these people who think that they should be basically treated like kings. And they think that they should basically have all the power in any type of social relation they're engaging with. And when there's any even slight challenge to that, even if it's something as simple as like, you know, oh, we don't have that much mayonnaise right now or something. 
then they go into like a violent rage and it's mm-hmm. it's terrifying and it's impossible to separate this from the other issues. Yeah, and it's absolutely disheartening and very upsetting, especially because we know a lot of workers out there are doing their best. And there was a worker this weekend in Staten Island at a ShopRite store that was accused of engaging in violence, which it apparently seems that he didn't do. This alleged attack was on Trump's former personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, but let's look at the video. And all of a sudden, I feel a shot on my back, like somebody shot me. I, I went forward, but luckily I didn't fall down. Lucky I'm a 78 year old in pretty good shape. Because if I wasn't, I'd have hit the ground and probably cracked my skull. Yeah, really, Rudy Giuliani giving us that narrative. But if you watch the video, it doesn't necessarily seem to comport. And of course, there always seem to be people out there willing to attest to such, let's say, misrepresentation of facts. How quickly did this incident happen? It happened so quickly. I mean, I was shoulder to shoulder with Giuliani. Okay. And, you know, I could have been hit. Never mind me. I just felt bad for Giuliani. He hit him so hard that I felt it. That's how bad it was. How, could you describe the person who allegedly assaulted Giuliani? You know, like I said, I'm an often shopper here, and I've seen that employee in here. You know, I've never had words with him or anything. I, I'm actually stunned that this gentleman did that, especially knowing, you know, everybody in here is very, all the staff, they're very helpful, nice. The owners are nice to everybody. Yes, so Giuliani feeding that attack as far as I'm concerned. As you can see from the still image here, that individual seemed to pat him on the back in some way. And the individual's name is Daniel Gill, he's 39 years old. He's a ShopRite store associate, he's been there since 2017. Well, Giuliani's proclamation of being assaulted, it got that man arrested on charges of assault in the second degree. And it still seems to be that Giuliani is sticking to his story, which is completely unfortunate. Because we also know that this gentleman, he's been suspended termination. And that's the words from the parent company of ShopRite. It really seems that there is a breakdown in truth in our society and that individuals in positions of power, even if they have been discredited by a what entire congressional committee, that they can still wield power to hurt others. Ben? Yeah, I mean, this just goes back to the dehumanization of service workers where I mean, literally like this is how more clear does it get a simple pat on the back turns into how dare you touch me at all. Now I will say as a general rule, like don't like touch people, but like a pat on the back is not like some sort of like brutal vicious assault. And we all saw it on that video and it really just rings of the how dare you poor (laughs) feel like you have the ability to engage with me in any way, shape or form. And that really seems to be the vibe. Absolutely, and and the thing is, is I know that this gentleman, Mr. Gill did when he patted Giuliani on the back, he said, what's up scumbag? But as far as I'm concerned, that still doesn't mean you should be charged with assaults. But I do agree with you, you should not touch others. It just seems that there is a lot going on and something that we look forward to connecting with you tomorrow and maybe Dr. Ritchie, but we do know that the January 6th committee has announced kind of an immediate emergency hearing based on some newly revealed evidence. So we should all be very much glued to our TVs tomorrow. And hopefully you are glued to yours watching us. In the meantime, Ben, can you please tell the viewers where they can find more of you? Yeah, you can always follow me on Twitter at Benjamin Carollo. And you can catch my show Galaxy Brain on TYT's Twitch channel every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern.
Fantastic, and you know me. You can catch me on Rebel HQ, which is on YouTube as well as Facebook, and probably on various other shows on TYT. And you will not catch me in the next half an hour, however, as you will see Dr. Richie in a double dose of some playbacks at the bullpen that I know you are going to enjoy. So I want to thank you so much for joining me today, and enjoy the rest of the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Yeah, he's back. We have Mr. Joe Collins, the third congressional candidate. We're going to talk about student loan debt forgiveness. That is now a topic again with the Biden administration. Obviously, I'm an advocate for this move. Joe, welcome back on the show, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm I'm blessed. I'm blessed. How about yourself? Thank you for I'm having doing me. Quite well, brother. I don't want to presume what you know or believe about the potential of student debt forgiveness in America. So, if you would give us your sentiment, and I will then opine. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this: we're not going to agree on student debt. Um, I don't believe that it is the government's responsibility. To, to clear debt that, that people may pay by, by going to college. And I know that, um, especially in our community, we're taught, you know, go to school, get a great education, and then get a job and, and do all these great things. But that's really not how reality works. Um, I also think that, you know, college is way too expensive. You know, I, I don't know when college started becoming so expensive to where if you want to go to a very nice college, you have to spend, you know, $125,000 to $225,000 to get an education. Uh, however, however, if I am a, if I'm an honest man, and uh, you know, a, a man of compromise and 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 a thinking man, you know, if the federal government is spending hundreds of billions of dollars in another country, as a taxpaying American, I personally would prefer. That that money stopped going to other countries, especially like this war in Ukraine, or, or the you know studying uh, transgenderism and sex changes in Pakistan, to take that money and do something for the American people. Uh, especially you know when you talk about the issues that we have in our community, uh, a lot of people can't buy housing because the uh, you know the credit lowering that that comes from not being able to pay off student loans and, and things of that nature. So I mean, for me, I'm not a fan of the government. Uh, paying off student debt, but I mean, since we're blowing money on every other country that has nothing to do with the United States, then we might as well do things for uh, people in the United States instead of doing things for other countries. Okay, I, I'm with you on some parts of your argument. I'm completely against you on others. Uh, I will say this about who we are today. Uh, we live in a globalized economy and a globalized information dynamic, which means that what happens in another country in some way creates a ripple effect to what happens in this country. And so you can't just universally say we do not have, we should not have some type of economic relationship or economic standard or even political and diplomatic influence over other nations without without some kind of connection to ours. It's all connected. And that's the reason why you have some of these programs. But let me get specific. Let me get very specific about something that you said, all right? The reality is the vast majority of people who choose not to buy homes, okay, who are in an economic position to buy a home, but they cannot get a home is because of what? 
college debt. Yep. College debt is a home purchasing barrier, right? So I'm going to get to some of these other elements you brought out. But there's legislation that has been presented by a congresswoman named Nakima Williams. Nakima Williams presented legislation that has been universally rejected by Republicans that said, listen, because of what's happening right now in our country, because of record inflation, because things may get worse before they get better. And we need people to be able to get homes and not have the barrier of student loan debt. She's saying there's legislation that can separate your student loan debt from the rest of your credit worthiness. So that provides a pathway for home ownership and it eliminates the primary barrier against it. You literally have people that can actually afford a home and outside of their student loan obligation or the negative impact it has to their credit score would otherwise qualify. Now legislation is saying, well, let's separate the two and eliminate that barrier. Are you for something like that? I think I think that's a really good idea. I think that's something that you know I, I could get behind. And and the reason why is because you know I talk to people about this subject all the time when it comes to to student debt and being able to uh, you know build build that generational wealth or have some type of equity through the purchase of property. So I mean, if student loan debt is what's stopping people from purchasing property, and and we all know that the majority of student debt uh, or student loans come from the federal government, these government loans, then I don't see why not. I I, I really don't, to be honest. Okay. All right, let's talk about another dynamic you brought up. Why do you believe, and I agree with you as a college professor, I say all the time, tuition is too damn high. That's why I teach at a college, you can literally graduate by paying about $1,200 a year. With the Pell Grant, you can graduate debt free. That's the kind of college I teach at. And I teach at that college intentionally. My second doctorate is in the affordability of higher education. So I'm with you on that element that yes, higher education is too expensive. But I want you to ask yourself why. Why do you think higher education is so expensive generally? Oh, wow. I think one of the biggest reasons, and this is just my opinion why I think higher education is so expensive is because of the prestige that's placed around getting getting higher education. You know what I'm saying? But nobody ever places the, the I guess, the dichotomy between getting out of college with, with that degree and amount of um, what, what do they call it experience that you got to have in order to get a good job that's going to pay you uh, the, the salary amount that is expected from, from coming from college. But then you have a lot of private institutions who because it's like a Harvard, because it's like a Stanford, it's like a, a prestigious college, they can jack the prices up knowing that people are going to want to come there anyway. Uh, the, the thing that kills me about that is they're still collecting government subsidies. I mean, we saw it when they were collecting the, the PPP loans, three, four million dollars with uh, from colleges that have like, you know, 40, 50 billion dollars endowments. And uh, it, it's not right, but I think the prestige of the colleges is what's driving up the uh, the cost of, of well, college to, to some degree cost of living. To some degree with some colleges, there's the prestige of the institution. But in in a normative setting, Outside of those extremes where you have your Ivy League institutions, the cost of education is generally high because of the federal government's program as it relates to college loans. Because the federal government is willing to give you a little north of $100,000 in order to get a college degree. 
uh, but they won't give you a penny at 18 to get a business loan, okay? But they'll give you this money to get a college degree. So that has enhanced the pricing, the general pricing of education. Now we can agree that the federal government is part of the reason why college debt, remember we're talking about debt, not just price, but debt. The federal government is partly responsible to why college debt is massive. And do you agree with that, at least in part? I mean, absolutely. I went to University of Phoenix and got my degree. However, they gave me an opportunity to see how a lot of those systems work. And that's a very expensive college, by the way, University of Phoenix, okay? so. The federal government, you admit in part is responsible for the out of control debt that people right now share. Which also means, my dear brother, that you should never eliminate from the table the federal government providing a remedy. And part of that remedy should be an allocation of student loan forgiveness. If you can admit that the federal government is partly to blame for the saga of out of control debt in America, why would you then let them off the hook as far as providing a remedy to resolve it? Well, one of the biggest reasons why is because you don't have to go to college. You, you really don't, and that's, and that's the biggest reason why. And I think that we cannot subvert personal responsibility for the government taking care of us whenever we choose to do something that's really not even necessary. I mean, the government doesn't have that many entrepreneurship programs. Just like you said, you know, we don't have anything. Yeah, but this isn't just about college. Remember, we're talking about training programs, technical uh, training programs, all of these programs, if accredited, you are able to get financial aid to attend these programs. So it's not just for liberal arts uh, institution, it's also for technical training as well as skill based jobs. Uh, we're running out of time, but I definitely want to get you on the record for this brother. Cuz I do find it interesting when you say that, okay, People don't have to go to college. But when you look at what college means to the average working person, and not just college, I'm talking about higher education in general, technical training programs included. You gotta know how to do something, brother. You gotta know how to do something in America. And America is based on skills, like skilled labor still drives this country. That skilled labor, we no longer have the apprenticeship models that we used to. These are now programmatic models, which means somebody has to pay in order to get the education necessary so that they can get the job, they can earn a livable wage, they can pay back back into the tax system, which increases the revenue of this country. It's a cause and effect relationship. I believe that money should never be a deterrent to you actually getting a quality education. You may not be able to go to Harvard, but it should not stop you from getting a quality education. Would you not agree with that? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so brother, black women, Black women, I want you to remember this, are the largest average student loan debt carriers according to a new study that came out in 2021. Black women have the highest overall student loan debt at $41,466. By comparison, they are also the most educated demographic now in the United States of America, black women are. But what's the cause and effect relationship? They owe more student debt. What I'm saying is this is not just an advocate, and I'm not just being an advocate for general student loan debt forgiveness. I'm being an advocate because I understand how this cripples black women. And you understand the job market, 
they are more likely, black women are more likely to be discriminated against for jobs that they actually qualify for and not obtain the promotions that they should obtain nor get paid equal pay for equal work. So they got massive education, massive debt, but massive discrimination at the same time. The government should have a policy to try to remedy that. Do you not agree? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and just like I said before, in my opinion, I don't think they should, but as a representative, which I'm running for, I absolutely think that for the greater good of everybody, you gotta do something. Okay, well, it sounds like you agree with me at the end of it. You At the end of the discussion, you agree with me, right? Absolutely. All right, it looks like I need to be running for Congress. <laughs> I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for being on the show, man. All right, man, I'll talk to you. Welcome to the bullpen. All right, in the bullpen today, we have Dr. Charmaine Yost, conservative strategist, long and distinguished career, uh, which includes a PhD in politics at University of Virginia, um, and also serving as a confidential assistant in the Office of Presidential Personnel in the White House during the administration of Ronald Reagan. That sounds G14 classified. Dr. Yost, <laughs> thanks for being on the show. Hey, Dr. Richie, nice to meet you and thanks for having me on. This Absolutely. So let's talk about this big red meat item with many conservatives who are now calling for the investigation and arrest and full prosecution to the fullest extent of the law. To the person who may have leaked the Roe v. Wade draft opinion from the United States Supreme Court, all right? I don't know what your thoughts are about this. Uh, now I don't want to presume them. So if you would give us what you feel and I will then opine. Well, you know, listen, between you and me, I think they already know who did it. And I don't, I'm not gonna be holding my breath waiting for them to come out and tell us who it is. I, I think it's one of those things where it's like, you know, we're talking a lot about how we're gonna turn over every stone, every stone and find this person. I, I don't think that's gonna happen. I do think that it's really, really I, it's really sad for all of us to see this kind of norm breaking of somebody very deliberately coming out with a, with a, an impending decision in a way that we haven't really seen before. That seems to be just a naked attempt to influence the decision of the justices and to find a way to change the the vote that uh, that apparently um, has already taken place back in December. So you know that's just that's that's not good for anybody. It's not good for either side uh, to have that kind of thing. And I frankly was hoping that this week when they came out with some decisions that they'd go ahead and come out with the decision because now that everybody's talking about it, I think it'd be a good thing just to be done with it and to have the real thing instead of, you know, you and I need to continue to caveat this and say that we don't know for sure um, and that it's still a draft. Um, but, but yeah, it's not a good thing for anybody. So let me tell you why I disagree with you. I think it's a great thing. I like leaks. I work in media, I like transparency in government. Bring, send me, listen, if you're watching me, send me your leaks. They <laughs> will get published, all right? So I'm, I'm okay with the leaks. And for me, when we argue over the leak more so than the actual uh, policy that it changes, we're arguing tone over substance. We're making the tone bigger than the substance of what this transforms in the United States of America. But I wanna go back to the direct rhetoric from those on the right saying this person needs to be prosecuted under federal law. Is this a criminal offense, Dr. Yost? 
Well, you know, actually, I think you and I are probably in agreement on this that it is more important at this point to move on to talking about the actual decision and and the substance of it. Even there's pretty much a right left agreement that it's a that it's a well written decision and and it's such a significant one that is going to have a broad ranging impact on our lives. So I think it's much more important to move on to to talking about the decision, which is why I wanted the actual one to come out because I do think it's a problem to continue talking about a draft. Um, so, so, so yeah. I mean, I think that I think that someone should be should be identified so that you have a deterrent to this kind of thing in the in the in the in the future. Um, whether or not there's a, a legal basis for um, for any kind of prosecution, like I said, I don't think they're actually going to come out with the person. And that well, let me say this: there's no legal basis for prosecution. A draft memo or a draft ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States is not a classified document. It doesn't fall under espionage. We've actually had hundreds of leaks from the United States Supreme Court over the years. The original Roe v. Wade ruling was leaked as well. A lot of people forget that the original ruling was actually leaked prematurely. So what happened to that person needs to happen to this person, which was absolutely nothing. What happens to or in situations like this, doctor, is that politicians on both sides will use it as political red meat. So while they're trying to figure out how to one up each other, there's a real problem in my opinion with the actual substance of the ruling. Here's one of the challenges I have with the ruling. This was a state's right ruling, that's what it really was at its core, okay? And the way they got to this space, is they said, listen, this never should have been legislated from the court. This should have been an issue of the states from day one. And right. there's a lot of legal jargon associated with that particular conclusion. But I remember what happened in 2019 in Alabama, Dr. Yost. In 2019, May, Alabama passed the most restriction, the most restrictive abortion bill in the country. And under Alabama law, for a brief period of time, remember, passed by a conservative legislature, signed into law by a conservative governor. They said, listen, if a woman is raped, it is illegal in this state for that woman to seek and obtain an abortion. She can get 15 to 25 years. If a doctor does it, adverse to the new law, he can get up, he or she can get up to 99 years. And the rapist will get five years. Now, Because of this ruling, if it's published as it is, it goes back to the state. These powers return back to the state. Thankfully, another judge overturned that crazy law, excuse me, law in Alabama. But don't you find it problematic when we start getting into a state's right to do these things when we see obvious obvious violations of constitutional rights as it relates to the privacy of women and their due process. See, I think one of the things what you're describing is a process of 
accommodating diversity of thought and diversity of thought on an issue that represents very, very deeply held values. And one of the reasons that we have been able to have as stable um, a, a republic, a democracy as, as we've had in the United States of America for hundreds of years now is because we have this system of checks and balances and federalism that brings these really, really contentious issues really close to home for people. So I think it's actually really refreshing. For example, you know, the fact that you're having me on to talk about this issue for, 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 Many, many years. We haven't talked about this issue. It's been kind of this third rail over on the over on the side where people haven't talked about abortion for many, many years because it was just too controversial. Now all of a sudden we're talking about it again. And I actually think that's refreshing. You know, thanks to you for having actually a longer discussion about this, a longer and a civil one. Thank you for that as well. You know, so I think that's refreshing. And I think it's helpful because it's it it shows you where we're moving towards having people talk about this with their legislators who are closer to home. That's how federalism is supposed to work. And it's going to accommodate diversity of thought. You're going to have a very, very different abortion. Okay, so let me go ahead and go down this rabbit hole with you. You are in Alabama. Let me, let me go down this rabbit hole. Last year, Texas lawmakers presented legislation in advance of this Supreme Court leak that said, even if you leave our state, and get an abortion outside of our state in a state where it is legal to do so. When you come back to our state, we will arrest you for murder. Once again, this court ruling once published will allow that kind of legislation to become law in the state of Texas. I know, listen, it's a good thing that we can talk about it. But doc, there are real people adversely affected by these policies and I wanna take it closer to them. While yes, it's remarkable that us PhDs can, he, can come here and wax poetic about how it's great to have diverse conversation and diversity of thought. And there's a variation of application throughout this country. That has not been good for those who are not white and who are not men. That kind of state rights philosophy has been adversarial and antithetical to all minority groups, including white women. And so let me take you back to another state's right, the state's right to own slaves. That's another state's right. That was what our civil war was fought over. These are real issues. Another issue is voting rights and how they have decided to manipulate dynamics and designs of voting in order to create barriers for those who are historically disenfranchised or for those who do not have the same level of information and resources, etc. So do you see why this is problematic, particularly to individuals who are affiliated with a, a minority demographic, for lack of a better phrase. Do you get why we are challenging this? I do, absolutely. I absolutely understand where you're going with this. And I'm afraid we're gonna run out of time because man, there was a lot there that I would love to talk <laughs> about. And I have to tell you that some of the people that I have found most inspiring in my life, both personally and professionally, are the African-American pro-life leaders that I've worked with for decades on this issue. And when you, there are there are a lot of people in this country who believe that the issue related to abortion 
has cut exactly opposite from what you're saying in terms of that it has been abusive of minorities. That there are women who have felt coerced, who felt like they had no other opportunities. And you know, I frankly am offended a lot of times when I hear these arguments that you know that that certain babies are less deserving of life than others. I think that we should be defending all babies. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who's making that argument. I, I think any any child that you would like to birth into this world, I think that mother deserves all of the support from the government. If you look at the statistics, doctor, only democratic presidents have overseen the largest decline of abortion rates in America. President, former President Obama oversaw the largest decline in abortion rates in America because there's a cause and effect relationship to resources and education. And you saw that impact as it relates to actual abortion in America. But once again, we're back to this commonality, excuse me. I think I think you're caught. I'm I'm not sure I'm buying into your causal thing here. I well, think well, you don't you don't have to. You can check out. But, but wait a minute. Let me tell let me tell people where to source it. So go Doctor, ahead. Let me tell people where to source it. You can find my information at Pure Research. You can source it all day. But the issue is this: if you are a Christian, um, religious individual and you believe life begins at conception, well, good for you. All right, that's what you believe. I'm a Christian man. I do not believe life begins at conception. I have biblical backing for that belief. I don't believe it begins at conception. But here's the thing, the founders of this country, as flawed as they were, they were trying to flee ideology like that. They were trying to get away from religious rule or religious order. And let me submit this one thing to you and I will allow you to respond. If life begins at conception, if that's your basis for why you're pro-life, Well, let's go ahead and have congruency in the legislation. Let's make sure that child support begins at conception. Let's make sure that insurance companies are mandated to insure fetuses at conception. Let's make sure that when the child is born, the child is nine months old rather than zero. Let's go ahead and create congruency legislation if we're gonna do this. And listen, we gotta stop deporting pregnant undocumented women in America because now they have an actual American citizen inside of their stomach, right? So let's make sure we go all the way. Are you with me on that, doctor? Okay, a lot here. First off, real yes, my religious beliefs are super important to me, as are a lot of people's, and even yep. there's plenty of atheists who are pro-life because the question. The majority of America believes in a woman's question, right to choose. The question, uh, well, maybe, maybe so we can. I, we're going to run out of time, but the 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 question of when life begins is a scientific question. It's not a religious okay. question, and the question of whether or not you defend innocent human life. It, it can be infused with your religious beliefs, but that's a very secular principle that our government should be defending innocent human life. We can make common cause across all kinds of different all religious right. and non-religious all beliefs. Right. Professor, on I, got, innocent I got one, life I have one minute left. I, I, got, I got one minute left, so you defend innocent life, You uh, Black Lives Matter, right? In in uh, in the in the womb, absolutely yes, they do across. What, what, what about outside of the womb? Dr. I believe I believe slogans are one thing. I think all um, human Dr. beings. Dr. Do Black Lives Matter? Human outside yeah. of the womb, do Black across, Lives Matter? Across the board, human beings of all. Can colors. you say Black Lives Matter with me? I think that's a slogan that has political connotation. All right, look and at that. So, all you right. Know. Yeah, yeah, you don't got exposed. I just, I just I appreciate you. Thank I you, thank you, Doctor. Right. Thanks for being I, on the show. I think I'm ending Black Lives from the beginning of. of Yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Have a good day, ma'am. 
Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a racist I, 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 policy, I, I, racist I, policy. Shelly, here's what I don't to. know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.